You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Ladies and gentlemen, my privilege to introduce to you, let's all give it up, Jim Jessup. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. All right, man. All right. Oh, thank you, guys. Man, that's awesome. That's a cheap way to get a, a standing ovation, isn't it? Hey, it is so fun to be with you because I didn't even realize the amount of relationships and contacts that I had within this church. Uh, first of all, let's give it up for, for Matt and the band again. That was really, they do a great job, man. And first service, I'm, I'm looking at the drummer and I'm thinking, man, I know him. I know that kid. And he's not a kid anymore. But 10 years ago, James O'Brien, your drummer, was traveling with me to different churches. He's an alum of William Jessup University. And so it is so cool to see him serving here, using his gifts. And, uh, you know, you're a part of a great church. And I'm excited to be with you. Really am. Well, I know some of you, you know, as, as, as Mike mentioned, uh, you've, you've had uh, these different speakers coming in. And, and now you're thinking, oh, boy, another guest speaker, you know. I hope he's brief, and I hope he's funny. And uh, well, like King Henry VIII said to his fourth wife, I won't keep you long. (laughs) Come on. That's funny. Okay. They don't get much better than that this morning, all right? Um, And I will be brief, but uh, I just really am stoked about the chance to be able to share with you. And I was also told the second service, you're a little more alive, and you're a little more with me. Amen? Amen. Okay, good. I see some of you, all three of you. Okay. Hey, I want to tell you a little bit where I'm from, and then I want to challenge you uh, this day, because though it's Father's Day, as was mentioned, you know, what we really are thinking about is our Heavenly Father. Amen? Because it was Jesus who said we'll worship God in spirit and truth because he is not really male nor female. He is spirit. But he said, call God Father because that's the best that we in human terms can understand who this God is, that we might have a relationship. That's one of the best ways for understanding him is as our Father. But some of you don't have a very good Father figure. You didn't grow up in a situation where there was a, a good Father. Well, this morning, as I tell you a little where I'm from, I want to tell you a little what I learned from my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather. And ladies, don't check out because there's some stuff I learned from the ladies in my family as well through God's Word. But here's where I'm from. This was San Jose Bible College. Here's a picture of my grandparents, William and Carrie Jessup, sitting with the class of 1946. He started the school in 1939 across the street from San Jose State University. It was called San Jose Bible College. He wasn't so bold as to name it after himself. You don't name things after yourself. You might screw up in life and it wouldn't be good. You know what I mean? You wait till they're dead, then you rename it. And that's what happened. Now, the school grew quickly. And 15 years now, we have been in Rockland, just 45 minutes away from here. I'd love to have you come visit. Here's a picture of our student body this last fall. 1,500 students now. Isn't that awesome? 1,500 students. I've been the director of church relations for the school for the last 15 years. A pastor for about 14 years before that. Love the opportunity to work with churches that believe in the university. And just like Sun Grove, who would send students our way that we might train them up in many different fields, but all integrated with God's word and understanding that God has a plan for your life. And you don't get that in a lot of college educations these days. And we are excited to be a part of something 
like William Jessup University. So I brought with me to end my commercial, I brought with me a little magazine. I would love to have you take a copy of it if you'd like from the college just so you can know what's happening right here in this region in Christian higher ed. Well, Sun Grove, uh, it is really my joy and my, my honor to be able to share with you. Now, David said in Psalm 61.5, <clears throat> he said, You have heard my vows, O God, and you have given me a heritage of those who fear your name. Powerful line. Because God has heard your vows. He has heard your vows. When you have said to him, God, I love you, and God, I want to follow you, and Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, and maybe you've come in this morning and you've never done that, that's okay. You're in the right place. I'm glad that you're here this morning to hear a little bit more about how God can work in your life. If you've been walking with God for years, then you've made vows. You've said some things to God that you expected him to hear, and you now can praise him that he has given you a heritage of those who fear his name. In other words, who love him, who respect him as God. You're a part of Sun Grove Church. And the people here, as you get to know them better and better, hopefully, they're following after what God would call them to follow. They're doing what God would call them to do. We're all sinners saved by God's grace, as I am, as I stand before you. I'm a sinner saved by his grace. I make a lot of mistakes. But I thank God he has given me a heritage of those who fear the Lord in Christ-centered churches and in my family. Now, some of you didn't grow up in a family where the Lord was brought out, was exemplified, was taught, a God that was prayed to. This is not a parenting message this morning because maybe you, maybe you would be the first in your family. Maybe you would be the, the starters of this legacy of faith. Or maybe you will be ones who will continue it on because your family does follow the Lord. Either way, know this, you have a great responsibility for you know the truth. And God's saying to you, let's pass this along. I want to share with you three things quickly this morning that I learned from my great-grandparents, my grandparents, my parents, through God's Word, through God's Word, and how it impacted my life. What I held on to, there was so much I could share with you, but I just boiled it down to these three things. And here they are. The first one is this. You are a living example. In other words, this is what my parents and grandparents taught me. They said, Jim, the way in which you live will preach much more loudly than the words coming out of your mouth. People will see your life, and they will know what you believe about God simply by what they see. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul tells the church in Corinth, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Great line. But I, was, I hesitate to stand up here before you and say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ because I make a lot of mistakes. I want to point you to Christ. Follow his example. But do you understand, folks, as Christ followers, if you don't stand up and say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, then who will people follow? You with me? Will they follow the athletes? Will they follow the musicians? Will they follow the people who got popular on TV simply by being popular? Or will they follow you because you have hope for the future? Because of Christ. Amen? Can I get an amen? Someone told me earlier, said you had a few speakers, but Jim, you're kind of preaching. You're right, I'm preaching. You are a living example. You are a living example. You may be the only Bible some people will ever read. 
You may be the only Bible some people will ever read. See, there are people who have said this book is old and it doesn't mean anything for life anymore and why would you ever follow it? It's not relevant for life today. And I say there's a lot of people sitting in this room right now who know the relevance of that Bible. It's made a difference in your life and it has given you hope for the future. It's given you the ability to forgive because you have been forgiven. And now you are a living example. Catch this. You've heard it said before, actions create habits. Habits create character. And character creates destiny. Did you catch that? The actions, the things that you do over and over again, they'll become habit in your life. And habit, it develops character, who you are. And character will determine destiny. With that in mind, let me show you this picture of my great-grandparents, Calvin and Matilda Jessup. They lived on the Keys exit of Highway 99, and their house is still there today. There's a huge grain elevator south side or the um, uh, west side, Highway 99 at the Keys exit. Their house is right near those grain elevators. It's now owned by a grain company, the whole area of land. He was an elder at Ceres Christian Church. That's a partner church with William Jessup University. They support the scholarship fund. I go down there and preach about once a year. One of our alums is a pastor there. He was an elder at that very church. When it was downtown, it's now moved to the outskirts of town. One morning, he wakes up. He goes out to the stable to hook up the horses to the carriage to take his wife Matilda and six kids to church. When he got out there, the horses had broken loose. He called out for them. They didn't come back. He told Matilda and the kids, looks like we're walking to church today. It's about three and a half mile walk into downtown Ceres. When they got to church, do you know what they found? The horses. <laughs> and he deduced, he deduced that the horses were so used to going to church that when they got lost, that's where they went. That's a testimony, man. That is a testimony. Because actions create habits, and habits create character. Character creates destiny. And even your animals are watching you. Do you understand? People are watching you. You are a living example. Well, now they had two kids. Uh, they had six kids, I'm sorry, and their youngest was my grandfather, William Jessup. And here's a picture of he and my grandma on their 50th wedding anniversary. Now, they've both since passed on and they're with the Lord, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But they were great encouragers, and I knew them well. They didn't pass away until I was in my 20s and early 30s. And I knew them well. When I left in the late 80s to go to seminary in Illinois, I was to preach at a small church called Mount Auburn Christian Church. And there I was in central Illinois. I was so out of my element, family. I was so out of my element. I'd grown up in the Bay Area, and here I am transplanted to this little church, going to a seminary about 50 miles away, preaching in this little church. Everybody was a farmer. I knew nothing about farming. And I was just trying to love and encourage, and I was, like I say, with my wife and six-month-old daughter at the time, I was so out of my element. And my grandpa, living back in San Jose, he knew it, and he sent me a letter. In one of the first weeks, I would arrive, and I read the letter, and it was just a letter of encouragement. And I'd let, I read it, and it was awesome. It was like, thanks, Gramps. And I threw it away. And the next week, I got another letter from him. And the next week, I got another letter from him. And the next week, I got another letter from him. And I thought, this old boy is not going to stop. So I grabbed a manila folder. And as he sent me letters every week, I threw them into the folder. And he never missed a week. Every Thursday or Friday, depending on the mail service, there would be a letter waiting from my grandfather just telling me he loved me, telling me to hang in there, 
telling me I'm doing the right thing, man. You can do this. Keep going. And every once in a while, Grandma, she'd write sideways at the bottom. <laughs> Just letting me know she loved me. And I don't think he ever wrote these saying to himself, you know, someday he'll hold these up in front of a church. <laughs> I think he wrote them simply because he cared. And I show them to you because you have no idea the impact a simple letter might make to somebody who's watching your life. I pulled them out about 10 years ago. I found that in my, in my file cabinet. And I thought, you know what? I've got to tell some people because there's no way you would know the impact in someone's life until they pull out the letter and they realize, wow, you know, I had a couple rough years there. And uh, God has written every one of you personally. He wants you to know he loves you. He loves you. You see, he was an example to me of how you tell people and how you encourage people and how you challenge people that God is good and that he wants to walk with you. He was a living example for me, my grandfather. April 12, 1992, he and my father and I, we would be asked to speak at a church in Morgan Hill. The three of us, it was really fun. We had done it a number of times. We would do a tag team sermon. Grandpa was 86 years old. He'd go first. He'd go about 15 minutes. I'd get up. As the youngest, I was 26. I'd go a few minutes. And then my father would wrap it up from the middle. Well, here we were in Morgan Hill. When my father finished his message, he sat down, second row, right-hand side. I got up to speak. I got halfway through my talk. I was in the middle of an illustration, and it was a really good story. I mean, I thought it was. It was an awesome story. And as I'm in the middle of this story, my wife yells out at me, Jim, Jim. There's about 150 people in the audience and stuff, and I'm thinking, why is my wife yelling at me? Be quiet, woman. I'm in the middle of a story. And I looked down and I realized she was holding on to him because his head had gone back. My grandfather, he was, she was, he was sitting right next to her. His head went back, his mouth opened, his, his eyes rolled back. He, he had a heart attack. I jumped down and we spread the chairs and I began mouth to mouth. And we have the, in fact, we have the whole thing on a lapel mic as you hear me talking to him. A Boy Scout leader in the audience ran forward and he did the compressions. And we waited for the ambulance to arrive, April 12, 1992. But we didn't bring him back. He died that night. And with the church surrounding us in a circle of prayer. Now, no one has died since while I have been preaching. <laughs> okay? So keep breathing. Y'all, y'all stop, you know, you, you get too uh, serious there. And if you're dying when a preacher's preaching, it really shakes his confidence. Okay? So stay with me. But get your life right with God. This could be the day. You never know. You know, he, he, was a, uh, he was quite an example to me, just a powerful example of how you live out this word. How you become the Bible that people will read. Now, they had two sons, and uh, the youngest of which was my father. And here's a picture of my mother and father and their 50th wedding anniversary. They're both still alive. And uh, in fact, they've been married now 63 years. Mom's 84, dad's 83, and uh, mom just had a stroke back in December, so she's not doing very well. But he still loves her and cares for her. She can't walk and she can't talk. But he still takes her places and takes her on dates, and it's a beautiful example of what you do when you love the Lord and you love the people around you. 
Um, I talked a lot about the guys, and I could go on and on about my father, but I won't because I want to let you out of here, and you can beat the Presbyterians to lunch. <laughs> That's funny. It's okay. The Presbyterians don't mind. I talk about you guys when I'm with them. Just joking. But you see, uh, I want to tell you ladies about the moms, about you ladies. Um, you have a powerful example for those who are watching your life, and there's a lot more watching than you think. My mom, my mom was a powerful woman of prayer. She taught me a lot about prayer. In fact, when I was little, man, did she teach me about prayer because she would so often say, Jimmy, you better pray. That'll come out of the carpet. <laughs> and, and, and it would teach me a lot about how to pray. And when I was getting a little bit older, she'd carry me up the stairs in our home in San Jose. She would carry me up the stairs on her back when I was real little. She even tried to do it when I was in junior high one time. My feet are dragging on the steps. I'm saying, Mom, why are you doing this? And she'd say, because I want to pray with you. And she wouldn't do it every night, but many nights she would drag me up those stairs on her back and she'd plop me into bed and she'd kneel down and she'd pray. And let me be honest with you, junior high, I'm laying in bed, I'm looking at the ceiling and I'm wondering if there is, really is a God. Who is this woman she's praying to? I don't hear him. I hear her say a lot, but I don't hear him say nothing back. Some of you have been there before. Some of you may be there right now today. I don't hear from God. But you know what happened? She kept praying. She was an example she kept praying, and she kept praying, and I began to think, maybe there's something to this. Maybe there is something that she really believes that's very powerful. And I saw God work in her life, and I thought to myself, you know what? I think this prayer thing is true. And you begin to look into it, and you begin to talk to God a little bit and see the difference that it might not make in your life. Do you understand that came about because she was a living example for me for prayer? Just like you will be when you leave this place and you go to that restaurant and you bow your head for just a moment to thank God for the fact you get to eat today. I mean, have you done that lately? We too easily can think, I'm the one who earned that money. I'm the one who has worked hard at this. What do I need to thank God for? Have you stopped to thank him for the blessings of the job that you have and the finances that you have, the family that you have, even if it's a screwed up family? Because he loves you. And someone's in that restaurant is going to see the fact that you just bowed your head. And you're not praying with your arms up and screaming out loud so everyone can see you, but you're just bowing your head quietly because you believe God needs to be thanked and wants to be thanked and wants to be glorified because of how he's worked in your life. You are a living example. You know, because my mom prayed, you know what I did when I had kids? Yeah, I bought a single-story home <laughs> so I didn't have to carry them up the stairs. And I'd drop them into bed, and I'd pray with them. Not every night, but enough that now when my grandsons come over, like they will tonight, my five-year-old and my two-year-old, they'll sit at the end of the table, and I say, hey, let's pray, guys. And I see my five-year-old fold his hands. Now, you've got to say a short prayer with a five-year-old, amen? But to see him fold his hands, and that's cool. And my two-year-old, he's still figuring out life. But he watches Papa pray, and he watches the family pray, and you're a living example when you pray. Well, sometimes the examples are just silly in life and in family, and they have been in our family, and we've had a lot of fun. Hopefully, you have a lot of fun in Christ. I think this church does. And in fact, if you don't think that God has a sense of humor, just look at the person next to you. <laughs> Amen? God created them. He's got to have a sense of humor. My Grandpa on his 70th birthday would climb Half Dome. Check out this picture. 
On his 70th birthday, he would climb Half Dome and he would stand on his head in 1975. Why? We really don't know. He just loved to go to high places and stand on his head. And we thought, this is really silly. And most of the world looks at it as silly. But because my grandfather did it, what would happen? His oldest son, Velt Jessup, my uncle, would climb it in 2002 on his 70th birthday and stand on his head in the exact same spot. That meant my father had to, in, 19, er, in 2005, stand on his head on his 70th birthday. And folks, I plan on climbing, you know what, on my 70th birthday, man. I'm going to climb up back up Half Dome. I've been up there a number of times, but I'm going to go back up there, even though the world says that really is silly. Even though you're right now thinking, yeah, it's a little bit loony. It is. But you know what? It's not to climb there and stand on my head. It's to sit on that rock that was right behind there. Because every time we've climbed up, we've sat on that little rock, and we've just thanked God for what he's done. I thank God for the blessings in life. And those are living examples and so I'm going to go do something really silly. In fact, the, the, the Placer Herald picked it up, and here's an article when my father climbed it on his 70th birthday. Here's an article of my father. They said one half dome meets another. Because, <laughs> yeah, the world looks at it and says, man, that is really stupid. You know, why would he do that? Why would the president of the college, why would he climb all the way up there and stand on his head? Well, you know, the world's going to look at a lot of things you do as a Christian and say, that's pretty stupid, pretty silly. Man, you do it anyways. You do it because you know it honors God. It glorifies his name. Now, my father had to one-up it, and this couple years ago, he turned, when he turned 80, he said, I want to climb it again. I said, whoa, Pop, you sure? He goes, yeah, let's go up. Let's do it. So here's a picture of my son and I getting him into a headstand on his 80th birthday. We had to help him into the headstand. That bottom picture is me standing back waiting for him to fall, and he did, and I caught him. And I said, Pop, you know what? I'll go up on my 70th, okay? It's just so you'll know, I, I pledge to you, I'm going to go up on my 70th and stand on my head to keep the family tradition going. If those cables are there, I'll climb it. But I can't guarantee I'm going to go up on my 80th. And he says, ah, you can make it on your 80th, son. I'll go with you. <laughs> you are a living example. Sometimes it's silly and sometimes it's very serious. But the way in which you live and act and react to the world, people are watching. Secondly, what they teach me, and we'll go a little bit faster here, too, people are more important than things. Boy, if you had to boil it all down, folks, people are more important than things. And it's so easy in our society to let the stuff become so valuable in our lives, to let the stuff become the, um, the, the king, to let the stuff become priority one. And we can begin to worship creation instead of the creator and to begin to accumulate and fill our lives with creation instead of the creator. And when we do that, we forget about his children and the people that he died for and loves. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Well, that's hard, isn't it? You know what? Jesus knew it'd be hard. 15% of all of his teachings was on money and possessions. He knew, he knew the difficulty in life would be that the creation would be set up as our gods, that we would be pulled away from the true Father into all these things that would become so much a part of our lives and draw us away from God. He said, no one can serve two masters. In Matthew 6, 24, he said, no one can serve two masters. Either love one and hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. But he said, you cannot serve both God and money. 
Yet we try, don't we? We try. And it makes such a mess of our relationships at times. It makes such a mess of our friendships. It makes such a mess in our homes and in our marriages when stuff becomes the priority of life and we get into such debt and then we have these burdens and we get into a wrong focus. A focus is taking us away from God because it's all about this stuff that's supposed to bring me happiness. Did you hear about Harold and Marge? They were at the county fair. Harold saw airplane ride, dual wing, open cockpit, actual plane by the airstrip, airplane ride, $10. He said, Marge, I'm not getting any younger. I want to fly that there plane. She said, Harold, you can't fly in that plane. That's $10, man. And $10 is $10. So Harold didn't get to fly. They're walking around the fair. He says, come on, Marge, before we go home, I want to ride that there plane. She says, Harold, $10 is $10. You're not riding that plane. Well, the pilot overheard and said, I tell you what, you two, I'll take you up in the plane. If I don't hear a peep out of you, either one of you, I won't charge you a dime. He say, okay. They both hop in the plane, and he goes up and does every whip and turn and barrel roll he can to get him to holler out. Not a word. He lands the plane. He turns back to Harold. He says, Harold, I did everything I could to get you two to holler out. I didn't hear a word. He said, I was going to say something when Marge fell out of the plane, but $10 is $10. That's funny. Nudge your neighbor. Matthew 6, 21 is where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, Jesus said, there your heart will be also. You see, your heart always follows what you treasure. It, it doesn't matter if you, if you think that you're deciding not to. What you treasure your heart will follow. Think about what you treasure in life. Your heart will always follow it. Money must become your tool in life, not your treasure. Otherwise, money will become the thing you love and people will become the thing that you use. When God wants it the other way around, that you would love your brothers and sisters, that you would love his children, and you would use the finances that he has given you. We are simply money managers, and we cannot take all of this which we have accumulated. And I apologize if I'm stepping on toes, but I'm a guest preacher, and you don't have to have me back. Amen? But if you're accumulating a lot of stuff, searching for happiness, you will forever be seeking happiness in the stuff. You will forever be seeking it. That's what Solomon said in Proverbs. Why, can, why can't you take it with you? Because naked you came into this world. And naked you will leave with nothing except the saving grace of Jesus Christ. For when you stand before the Lord and Jesus says, I know this one. He's with me or she's with me. Why do I know you can't take it with you? Because seriously, none of you have ever seen a hearse ever pulling a U-Haul trailer. Amen? And it will stay here. Only what will follow will be the friends, the family, the people who are so much more important than the stuff that can be accumulated. At the time John Rockefeller died, he was one of the wealthiest men on earth. A story goes that someone asked his accountant, how much did John leave? His accountant replied, all of it. And so will I. So will you. Listen, folks, it's not wrong to have the stuff 
in life, the things that money can buy. I, I got a car sitting out in the parking lot. I got, a, I got a house. Of course, Bank of America owns it for 10 more years. <laughs> 10 more. I can do it. <laughs> Hang in there. Keep paying your bills. It's not wrong to have the things that money can buy as long as in the process, church, as long as in the process, you don't lose the things money can't buy. You with me? It's not wrong to have the things that money can buy as long as in the process, you don't lose the things money can't buy. You see, I was a chaplain in Illinois while I was going through seminary, while I was at that little church, Mount Auburn Christian Church, while I was preaching at that little church and going through seminary, I had to also be a chaplain at the Springfield Memorial Hospital in Springfield, Illinois for a year. I would drive over there, and I had the oncology unit. Oncology, cancer. And in the late 80s, it was a sad place. And as I visited with many of these people, I tell you, family, friends, not one of them ever looked at me as they were dying, literally dying, wondering if they'd wake up the next day. Not one of them said to me, you know, chaplain, before I go, I wish I'd have had a bigger house. I wish I'd have had a faster bass boat or a nicer car. But a whole bunch of them did say to me, you know, I wish I'd have forgiven this person. I wish, I wish I could have told this person that I love them. Or I wish I could have made a difference in this person's life. And brothers and sisters, you can. Because people are more important than things. If you choose to make it that way, it's what God would have for us. And it's all through his scripture that people are more important than things. Third and last is keep looking forward. Keep looking forward, church. Keep looking forward. And it, I know it's hard, and it may be some of you are even saying to me, oh, you know, it's pretty easy for you, Jim. I mean, look at your life, right? And I tell you, man, I think God has really blessed me, and I thank him for the fact that I had parents who stayed together and loved each other and modeled that love, and my grandparents and my great-grandparents. And that's fairly unusual these days, and it's fairly unusual that we would grow up in healthy homes, you know what? The love of Christ can still conquer all. The love of Christ in your heart can still make a change. Keep looking forward. Philippians 3.13, Paul says, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Catch that first part. Forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. What's hard is not the looking back and learning from the past, it's living in it. It's okay to look back at the past and learn from it, but we don't want to live in it. Amen? No, none of you with me? You want to live in the past? No, don't live in the past because the past is the past and God's concerned with what's going to happen today and what you're going to do for him tomorrow. You see, he said in Luke 9, 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back he means to gaze, to fixate, to stare. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, I think he would say, if he were here today, he would probably put it in a different context because, you see, none of you probably plowed a field this morning. And they all understood what it was to plow a field. He would probably say to us today, no one who gets in his car and tries to drive home today from church by only looking in the rearview mirror is fit for service in the kingdom of God. 
I would add, not fit for driving in California either. Amen? But this is the way some people live life. They live life as though they're staring in the rearview mirror the whole time. Oh, I wish I was 30 again. Oh, I wish I could do this, when I, this job that I used to have. Oh, I wish I had a different boss like I used to. Oh, I wish my wife would treat me differently or my husband would treat me differently or I wish my family was different. And we're looking into the past. You can't drive your car by staring in the rearview mirror. You look out the windshield at what is yet to come. You look in the rearview mirror, you glance at it every once in a while, right? Is that a cop? <laughs> Why is that guy following so close? What did I just hit, right? So you glance in the mirror, but you fixate to the future. You look towards the future. We keep looking forward. The church has to continue to look forward, and this is a forward-looking church. I preach at a lot of churches that are still doing things the way they did them in the 60s, thinking that that's more spiritual. Folks, there's nothing about the methods of a church that make it spiritual. It's about the message of the church. Amen? It's not the methods. The methods 10 years from now will change. You're going to walk in 10 years into this church and go, wow, things have changed. They should. We've got to keep looking forward with a message that never changes, but methods that will change frequently. We change at our jobs. Your bosses change. Your philosophies change. Different things change at your work. We even change personally. I walked into the bathroom the other day, and I could not believe it. I saw my wife's mirror. You know you ladies always have two mirrors, right, ladies? You got two mirrors. Right. Us guys, we're like, what? Guys, we walk in the mirror. You look in the mirror, you go, it is what it is, right? And you go to work or out or whatever. You got two mirrors, ladies. I know what you do. You got to look at the back of your heads. And I saw her mirror, and I thought, huh, I haven't looked that in a long time. I grabbed the mirror, and my father... My father was in the mirror. It freaked me out, man. All of a sudden, it was just all gone. We change. There was this lady who was, it was her birthday. She's looking in the mirror. Her husband's laying in bed. He's watching her. And she is not enjoying the fact as her birthday has arrived that she has a little extra in other spots. Another year had not done her well, in other words. You with me? Do you all nod? You're, you're awake. You're not, okay. And so, is this coming out in Spanish, maybe? All right. So, you're... She's, she's seeing that she doesn't like, she doesn't like, uh, you know, a little extra here and there and things. It's just not, 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 not pleasing at all. And he says, honey, it's your birthday. What do you want for your birthday? She says, oh, I wish I was six again. He hops out of bed. He grabs her by the hand. He takes her to an amusement park. He puts her on rides, gets her hot, hot fudge sundae, gets her cotton candy. On the way home, they stop at McDonald's. They get her a happy meal. Now she's flopping on the couch. She's feeling terrible, all bloated from this extra junk food. He says, how did it feel to be six again? Her eyes got huge. She said, is that what this was about? I meant my dress size. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's just you can't go back, you know? It's hard to go back to what you were. By the way, gentlemen, let me help you out with something, a little insight here, gentlemen. Do you understand why married women tend to be a little larger than single women? Because when a single woman gets home, she looks at what's in the fridge and she goes to bed. But when a married woman gets home, she looks at what's in the bed and she goes to the fridge. <laughs> Bad joke. You see, I think that God's calling us to keep looking forward, though. We can get so caught up with the past. And again, you can say, Jim, it's so easy for you. Well, you know what? I would admit that, yeah, much of my life has been easy because I had people who loved me, who surrounded me. 
However, let me tell you that for 30, 33 years this December, I've been married to my wife who didn't have it so easy. And some of you know her story because her story is like yours. See, she had two different dads. They both beat her up, beat up her mom. They were both alcoholics. She'd come home and not know for sure if there'd be blood all over the kitchen. Her mom getting beat up if she'd have to be the one to call the cops on her dad. And then in fourth grade, her grandfather began to molest her until junior high years. And that can mess you up. That can really screw up your thinking about who God, the Father, is. It took about seven years of our marriage before she began to understand that that God truly did love her. When she saw other people who loved God surrendering their life to him as maybe many of you have done. And she heard with me a speaker one time who said, you can blame a lot of people for the way in which you were raised, but you can only blame yourself for the way you choose to live today. Did you catch that? You can blame a lot of people for the way you were raised, but you can only blame yourself for the way you choose to live today. And you have the choice through God's power and his spirit working within you to glorify him to make people more important than things, to forget the past and move on. And oh, she still has scars in her life because of it, but they're not open wounds anymore. She's not bleeding, she's not hurting. They're scars, they're memories of painful times, but they're scars now because she's given the wounds over to God, just what you can do too, if that needs to happen in your life. And she doesn't totally forget the past, but so much of it is in the past that it's hard for her to even remember it now when she shares her testimony because God has allowed her to forget it and to move on. Oswald Chambers said, beware of spending too much time looking back at what you once were when God wants you to become something you have never been. Be careful spending too much time looking back at what you once were. God wants you to become something you have never been. You are a living example. People are more important than things and keep looking forward. Let me close with this story. In 2004, in the Summer Olympics, there was a man named Matt Emmons. Matt Emmons, he was an American. He was in the 50-meter rifle competition, and he was so good. He was so good that by the final round, he was so far ahead in points, all he had to do was get the shot on the target. He didn't need a bullseye or anywhere near the bullseye, just get it on the target, and he had the gold wrapped up. You know the problem? True story, 2004, Summer Olympics, Matt Emmons. The, 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 the story, the problem? He knew he was ahead. He knew he had the gold wrapped up. As he fired the shot, the light didn't come on at the end of his row indicating the shot had been fired into his target. He's like, what's going on? The judges are called over. They pull in his target. They examine it, and there's no hole in the target. Now, Matt is, I mean, he's, he's bewildered. He's a little anxious. He's like, what is going on? This is not right. What happened? And the judges say, let's pull in the targets next to his. They pull in the two targets next to his, and in one of them was a perfect bullseye. In his haste, in his lack of focus and concentration, what he did was he lined up on the wrong target. And he didn't come home with the gold or the silver or even the bronze. came home in eighth place because he missed the entire target. And when I read that story, I thought, what a metaphor for life as a Christian. What a metaphor because you see, if we understand right, you read God's word, 
You win. I win. Christ died for me. My sins are forgiven. I get to not only have abundant life in this life, but eternal life with him someday. If he's Lord of my life today, he is Savior for tomorrow. And we win. But you know the problem that brings? It brings a lack of concentration for the day. It brings a lack of focus of the right targets in life. And the fact that you are a living example, that the people around you are more important than things. And when you do mess up, because you're a sinner saved by grace just like me, when you do mess up, that you forget the past and you move on. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for the opportunity for me to be able to share. In the inadequacy of my words, oh, Lord, I just pray there were a few here who needed to be encouraged, needed to be challenged, needed, Father, to know and to be reminded that you have some targets in life for us to aim at, to carry on this legacy of faith, Sun Grove Church, and a personal faith that each in here carries if they call you their Lord and Savior. So, Father, thank you for the opportunity again for me to share for these, my brothers and sisters, to be together in fellowship. May you bless them. May you keep them. May they be encouraged by one another. And, Father, may we in all things give you the glory in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.